We are in Exodus 4. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17. Second book of your Bible. Please, Lord, send somebody else. Ever felt like that? <laughs> we have a room full of people who have answered the call of God in various ways. Some of you are involved in uh, local ministry. Some of you are involved in missions. Uh, there's a lot of different expressions of faith in this room right now. Some of you have been fighting the call of God for a long time, and maybe this is going to speak to you about you answering the call in your own individual life. I was thinking of a scene in the Gospel of Luke when the, Peter was getting to know the Lord, and the Lord was preaching from the boat, and he told Peter, let's put out for a catch, and Peter said, Master, we've, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing, but at your word, we'll do it. And so they put out, and if you remember the text, they took in such a great catch that it was beginning to break the nets, and they had two boats, and they were trying to bring the fish in, and Peter had a moment where he, I think he was overwhelmed by the power and presence of the Lord, and he said, Lord, depart from me, I am a sinful man. I don't think you want to be with a guy like me. And the Lord went on to say to Peter, don't be afraid. You'll be fishing for men. And Peter had no idea the journey that he was in for. And he would go through his ups and downs, as you know, as you've read his story in the Gospels. But what a servant of the Lord he would become. And he would really be raised up after he fell on his face on that night when Jesus said, you're going to deny that you know me three times. And yet he became a lion of the faith. And if you read the book of Acts, the first 10 chapters and plus are really about Peter. Peter opening the door of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth as he goes into the house of Cornelius. Peter had no idea what the Lord was going to do with him. But he had a moment early on in his interaction with Jesus when he was like, I'm not the guy. I think you should just leave now and don't think about me again. But Peter was the guy. He was selected by Jesus for a reason, and so have you been, and so have I. I remember early on in my uh, journey in walking with the Lord, this was probably in the early to mid-90s, I remember many poignant moments where I was trying to break away from a lot of old habits and decisions that I've made, I had made, pretty poor decisions, really, and the Lord was working in my life, and I felt an undeniable tug into the ministry. And I remember, as close as I've ever gotten to an audible voice, the Lord saying to my heart, I want you to decide, and I want you to give me everything. And it wasn't hard for me to say yes to the Lord. It wasn't hard for me to say yes even to the calling that I felt pretty early in my walk with the Lord. But it was hard to give him everything. <laughs> Can you relate? It's hard to surrender everything. Would you pray with me, Father? As we uh, study this incredible text, we look at a man that so many of us, we know his name. There's no question about who he is. We probably think very positive thoughts about Moses, that you know he was a great leader. He was a very humble man. He endured a lot. He represented you well. He had his moments, no doubt, but he was very faithful. And yet, at the burning bush, we see his humanity. We see his uh, hesitation to answer the call. 
And would you help us, Lord, because we know the calling that you have on our life is irrevocable. It's something that you planned from the very beginning. Good works that we should walk in them. And yet, in our humanity, Lord, we know we have a part to play. We need to fan the gift into flame. We need, uh, we need to make sure that we are surrendered to you. And I pray, Lord, that whatever you want to say, you would say, and we'd have ears to hear what you would say to your people, to your church, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. This is the last section. It wraps up Moses before the burning bush. And Moses, Exodus 4.10, said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past. Exodus 4.10. Nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. With his fourth argument, Moses focuses on his speech disability. He lacked eloquence is what he says. He is saying something like, I lack the ability to speak publicly. They say that the, the greatest fear of people uh, throughout the ages Next to dying is the fear of public speaking. It does something to us. And I remember when I was first starting out as a pastor, public speaking was not something that I necessarily enjoyed. In fact, I will confess that there were times that I acted like I was sick to miss oral report day. And my mom's on the front row. And if I just went... <laughs> Mom, I don't feel good. She'd say, good, stay home. Because she always wanted to protect me. She still wants to protect me. But it was easy for me to get out of school. That's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> and I remember, you know, uh, some of the early moments when I shared my testimony as a new Christian and uh, got in front of a group of people. It was not the most comfortable thing for me. It wasn't my sweet spot but I felt like the Lord wanted me to not worry so much about that, but to worry about the content of what he wanted to say. And so as time went by, uh, thresholds were crossed, and I found myself before a radio mo microphone, and it was, I have to admit, pretty intimidating, and then sometimes a camera, and you're like, help me, Lord, and Sometimes in the middle of situations where you're the only one that walks into a place where it's a mixed multitude and they may not expect to hear the gospel from you, but you're called to preach it. Memorial services, city council meetings, you name it, the Lord has put me there. And uh, there's probably much more to come that I don't even know about right now. <laughs> but Moses is at the burning bush and I think we can all appreciate his hesitancy. He says something like this, literally the Hebrew could be, I am not a man of words. I'm heavy in mouth, heavy in tongue, unable to articulate my thoughts fluently with flowing speech. There's a lot of different conjecture about what was going on with Moses. What was the deal? Did he have a speech problem? Was it psychological? Was it a lack of confidence? Was it a physical problem? Had Moses lost some confidence as he spent 40 years in Midian? Had he become too comfortable? You know, the, the text tells us in Exodus 7, 7 that when Moses appeared before the Pharaoh, he was 80 years old. Did he feel like he was too old? 
know, sometimes we get older in years and we, we might feel like, you know what, I don't have much more to give anymore. But I, I believe it's Exodus 7, 7 says that when they first appear before the Pharaoh, Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83. Now, I know for most of us, we don't think about starting our ministry in our 80s, but that's where they were. Did Moses lack some confidence because of his age? I don't know. Was he worried about getting tongue-tied in the royal court? Possibly. An ancient document called The Tale of the Eloquent Peasant suggests that eloquence was important in Egyptian culture, just like it was in Greek and Roman culture, something which Moses would have well known from his time in that court. So he would have been concerned. Some believe this is a pointed and inappropriate, if not impolite, criticism that somehow... In all the discussion, God has overlooked Moses' speech disability. Like, maybe he doesn't know. Does Moses have to update God on current events? Lord, I'm not sure if you knew this, but I have a weakness in this particular area. Are you sure you got the right guy? Are you sure you got the right gal? We all go through that. Why would God choose a man for this type of calling that lacked eloquence? After all, he was going to have to be some sort of political ambassador, largely reliant on his ability to speak. Why would God, let's just assume for a moment that Moses has a real speech disability. Why would God choose a man who struggled to speak well when his whole job is about speaking? I remember uh, a pastor, and his name escapes me at the moment, but he said he was at a conference. He had preached for decades and decades, and he was at a conference where he had really, he was on the verge of losing his voice, and he, uh, I think it was laryngitis or something like that. He had been fighting a sickness, and he said he was at this conference, and he was embarrassed that he had to croak out this message. He could barely even speak. And afterwards, he said he walked away from it, and he said he felt like he did not serve the Lord or honor the Lord well. And I, I know after many times when I've shared the gospel or preached a message, I will say something like this, often from the front row, Lord, if you can do something with that weak offering of mine, then please do it. That's often how you feel when you're serving the Lord. And he said over the years, he would have college students come up to him and the sermon that they remember most out of his whole preaching career was the sermon that he barely could croak out. And the content and substance of that sermon was maybe one of his greatest ever. Because in his weakness, the Lord was strong. And I'm sure you've probably noticed this. The Lord does not take the... Uh, great things of the world, he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You might ask the question, why does he do that? Because he receives greater glory. So I think just on a basic level, if you're thinking through this interaction at the burning bush, you need to understand that God doesn't take the person with the most you know, incredible gifts to use. He uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And there was another pastor who said, you know, I think for my ministry, God looked down and he pulled the weakest uh, vessel he could find out of the mud to use me for his glory. And I think that's something we all have to understand. 
In the Septuagint, it says that Moses stammered and stuttered. That's the Greek version of the Old Testament. Many Jewish traditions suggest that it was a speech defect. Example, in a Midrash, uh, Exodus Rabbah, it says that Moses was burned accidentally in his mouth with a live coal as a child. Ezra, uh, Ibn Ezra, the medieval Jewish exegete, says Moses was born that way. With a heavy mouth, he could pronounce the sound of language only partly and with difficulty. All different conjecture about what was going on, but Acts 7.22 is an interesting thing to consider. And here's Stephen before the Sanhedrin, and he says these words about Moses. He says, Moses was educated, Acts 7.22, in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds, Acts 7.22. So what's going on here? If Stephen says that Moses was a powerful man in word and in deed, what happened to Moses? Had he lost the ability? You know, sometimes as life goes on, we lose a measure of confidence. Maybe an area where we were confident at one point, maybe when we were younger, maybe we've lost some confidence. Is it that? Is it that maybe Moses' last uh, remembrance of him trying to persuade the people of Israel that he was the deliverer was ended in miserable failure? And we often focus on our failures and we say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm, I'm not going there again. Some of you have made that decision and it could be a, a myriad of different areas. I, I'm not going to go there again because I got burned or I got embarrassed or whatever it may be. He felt ill-equipped. Perhaps he felt unworthy. Another view is that some, Moses is doing something called a ritual protest. I just throw this out for your consideration. This is from Stuart. He says, the idea is that of exaggerated humility or mannerly self-deprecation at the prospects of such a great assignment and great need of help. Moses does a huge amount of speaking in the remainder of the Pentateuchal narrative, the first five books, and law, Yet nowhere did he reveal the slightest speech hesitancy or inability to make himself understood. The writer's basically saying for the rest of the first five books, there's no hint that Moses struggles with speaking. No, no documentation, no Bible verse that we could say he stumbled over his words, but he finally got them out. So what is going on here? We cannot be dogmatic, but what we can certainly say is that Moses has hesitation about his ability to get the job done. Whatever's at the root of it, whether he had a stuttering problem, whether he had a defect, whether he had an injury, whether he's doing a ritual protest because he's overwhelmed at the prospects of what God's calling him to do. And the Lord says to him, 11, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Implicit in God's response to Moses, verse 11, is I am the one who made you just the way you are, so stop making excuses. I know where your weaknesses and your strengths lie. I made you. And then this is an interesting verse to ponder. I also make the dumb 
the deaf, the seeing, and the blind. Some of us look at that verse and we're like, wait a minute, what does that mean? I was reading a story this week of a pastor, I believe it was a pastor or a gentleman who was in leadership at a church, and uh, a child was born to his bride, and the child came out, and the child had Down syndrome. And he was devastated, and he didn't know how he was going to tell his wife. His wife was away recovering, and he talked to a, a friend of his who was also a leader in the church, and the leader pointed him to Exodus 4.11 and said, this is no mistake. The Lord is going to use this child for his glory. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I understand everything about that. I don't. But I know the stories just like you do of Johnny Erickson Tata, who in that diving accident becomes a quadriplegic. And she would say out of her own mouth that I don't believe that the Lord would have used me the way he used me unless I would have been in a wheelchair. That uh, wheelchair ministry she has all over the world. And she tells a story recently. She's had cancer as well that she was in Jerusalem and she was at the pool of Bethesda. And I thought she was going to talk about how she was going to pray that the Lord would heal her finally. And she said she prayed and gave thanks that the Lord had not healed her so that her ministry could thrive from her weakness. Nick Vujicic is another one, and there are many other stories. You know, a guy with no arms and no legs who changes the world. Would he have changed the world had he been, you know, a normal person, whatever we call normal? Probably not. And in John chapter 9, Jesus is walking, and he saw, Jesus saw a man born blind. And the apostles said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? And Jesus said, neither him nor his parents sinned. This has happened that the glory of God might be revealed in this man. And if you read on in the account, the man does get healed and he becomes a picture of a spiritual awakening going from blind to seeing and really becomes a, a rebuke to the religious leadership of the day. And there are times when we've gone through loss or we've you know, hit a... Uh, several bumps in the road, and somehow the Lord has used it for his glory. In this community, we had that terrible accident uh, just about a year ago where, you know, there's uh, people who are prominent in the church, lost children, teenagers. How do we make sense of that? I will tell you that I went to the service following that accident when, you know, uh, I think it was three young men perished, including... Uh, the Hawkins boy, and I was at Crossroads when they did, did that service, and that was jam-packed. There was probably over 3,000 people there. There were high school students there, and the uncle got up and preached, the uncle of one of the kids that died in that accident, and the uncle, I tell you what, you could have heard a pin drop in that sanctuary, and the uncle proclaimed the gospel, and it was such a powerful, emotional moment. And there were kids in football jerseys sitting there and all these kids from different high schools and youth groups. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a God moment. Now, I can't tell you everything about, you know, the whys of life. I don't understand all of the, those things. I know our pain is real and our struggles are real, but God exploits it for his good purposes. And when Moses is questioning God, he's essentially saying, I don't appreciate the way that you made me, or I don't appreciate 
the weaknesses that you've given me. One writer says, every time we complain about our personal limitations, what we are actually doing is insulting the God who made us, close quote. We're saying, you didn't give me this. This is why I can't do what you've called me to do because of this and that. But I mentioned to you that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Psalm 139, 14 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's all of us. No matter what limitations you feel that you have, no matter, you know, sometimes what happens is the area of our greatest weakness becomes a doorway for ministry. Sometimes our greatest hurts, the things that we've gone through in our lives, become platforms for God to help us help others with the comfort with which we've been comforted by God. And I don't understand, again, every angle of that, but I will tell you that's what God does. For me, you know, I have the, the, the pain of a father that left very, when I was very young. I have a, a background where I wasn't always a Christian, and I, my trajectory in life was not to go to Bible college and become a pastor. And I, I can understand people who go through those struggles. Moses is, is essentially saying, I'm not happy with the way you made me and why it isn't that you haven't changed me in the 15 minutes that we've been talking with each other. And we get impatient. And we say, Lord, I, I can't do it. I'm not the right person. This writer says, like Moses, we are prone to place far too much reliance on natural ability and not nearly enough on supernatural assistance. Close quote. We, we, because this is the way the world is, right? We measure everything by ability and looks and talent and all of that. But in the kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite. It's your pride that often becomes a block to God working in your life. And before God can greatly use a man or a woman, he must greatly break that man or that woman. I wish I would have known that before I signed the contract. But Christians don't tell you those things at the beginning. You're a brand new Christian. You walk down the aisle. Oh, praise the Lord here. Just, you know, read the Gospel of John. This is awesome. Go to this Bible study. They don't tell you about spiritual warfare. They don't tell you about the small print and the contract. Why do you people do these things? Oh, wait a minute. I'm one of you. Never mind. <laughs> we can't tell them everything up front. <laughs> Maybe we should. Anyway. Now, I want to take you to a few passages. I want you to hold your place in Exodus and go to Isaiah. We're talking about the mouth and the calling of people that God chooses. Everybody that God chooses is unqualified because we're human. And Isaiah sees this great vision. Isaiah chapter 6, we're looking at verse 5. He sees the Lord. He sees him exalted. He sees the seraphim, Isaiah chapter 6. They're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke, Isaiah 6, 5. And Isaiah said, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he says, woe is me. Almost like Peter, I'm a sinful man. I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. I think Isaiah has a sense that he's going to be called into a ministry where he's going to have to speak. And once he sees the Lord, he's like, man, I am a sinful man, just like Peter. And I live among a people who are sinful, of unclean lips. You know, sometimes when we get a, just a taste of the holiness and glory of God and we look at our world and we look at the pride and we look at the division and we look at the ugliness and we look at the things that happen behind closed doors, we're like, really? Oh my goodness. When you compare that to Almighty God and the glory in, you know, in which he uh, is enveloped, you're just undone. You're, you're ruined. You want to say, I'm not the man. I can't be. But notice, then one came of the seraphim, flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with the tongs. And he, what's your Bible say? He touched my mouth. And with it, he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Notice, it's right there where we speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he was touched with that coal. Cleansing is always part of commissioning. Always. If you are going to be used by God, he wants you to be a holy vessel. And that's the one thing that we are not in and of ourselves is holy, amen? But he wants us to be. And so he touches us with the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get saved by grace. And then he begins to do a sanctifying work. And what he's doing is he's getting rid of the chaff so that you can be more of the wheat, if you will, so that you can bring forth the truth of who he is. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, after he was touched, here am I, what's your Bible say? Send me. Now, in the very next book is the book of Jeremiah, Chapter 1, I want you to see what happens with Jeremiah. A very similar kind of experience. Just the next book to your right. As we look at a few of the major prophets in the Bible and their calling from God. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. Here's what Jeremiah says. He says, Alas, Lord God, Jeremiah 1, 6. Behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Jeremiah 1, 7. Do not say I am a youth. He may have been about 20 to 25 at this point. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, and what did he do? He touched my mouth. Who made the mouth, remember? And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod. Interesting. Reminds me of Moses and his staff of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. See, what we often do is we think, well, I got to do this alone, or I got to have the strength to do this. And the Lord says, no. You simply have to allow me to touch your life in such a way that you become a vessel for me. 
all his denial of being a good speaker, Moses seems to be doing a pretty good job arguing with God. You know, sometimes our arguments are self-defeating. The whole time he's saying, I can't do it, he doesn't seem like he's stuttering. I'm not the man. I haven't been able to speak from the time that I was a youth. I'm not so eloquent. Nothing in there about the inability to argue with God. If you can argue with God, you can certainly say to the Pharaoh, let my people go, even if you have to gulp before you say it. Do you guys remember uh, there was a pastor and he went to the famous Evan prison in, I think it was Iran. Go back to Exodus. And there were uh, American prisoners in there and prisoners from different parts of the world. And he stood out in front of that prison in Iran and shouted, let my people go. And he was finally rushed into the prison and they started questioning this guy. Who are you and what are you doing here? And he was quoting from the book of Exodus, crying out for people to be freed from that terrible prison. You want to talk about boldness? You want to talk about you better make sure God's called you to do that. Did, did I hear Iran? <laughs> did I hear properly? You know, they said of the apostle Paul, that uh, he was an impressive speaker. And in the Greek world, oratory was very important. They say, 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, Paul's letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive. And his speech is contemptible or of no account. In Acts 17, he's up there on Mars Hill, and they say, what does this babbler wish to say? He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.6, even if I'm unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Even the great apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament letters, apparently when he showed up at a church and people had received his letters, they looked at him and they went something like this. That's Paul? Are you kidding me? And the, there's some tradition that says Paul had bow legs, he had a big old nose, he was balding, and he had runny eyes. The great apostle Paul preaching this Sunday at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Open your Bibles. To... You know what we do when we see something like that? We're like, Ugh going on with this guy runny eyes can he get, get him a napkin somebody get him a napkin <laughs> we're pretty good at being critical right when the person in the ring is bleeding somebody wipe that cut doesn't he know how to duck <laughs> and in in the ancient world they said if you suffered a malady or you got beat up in a fight, or you had an ongoing sickness that was not cured, you were under the curse of the gods. Why would I, as a Greek aristocrat or a, uh, a Roman you know, governor, listen to somebody like him? He's a disaster. And then he opens his mouth. And you know what you sense from somebody like Paul? 
power. Unbridled power. And not because he's got the best suit on and the most impressive guy, but you know what? There's no replacing. You can sense when the power of God is on a person. Amen? Have you ever sensed it before? Have you ever been in a conversation and you began rifling off passages that you didn't even know that you knew? I know you guys could share stories where you shared with a coworker or a friend and you're like, I don't know where that scripture came from, but man, I was rattling Bible verses left and right. I don't even think some of them I learned. You did. Somewhere along the way, you heard that verse and the Lord cataloged that verse in your heart and he brought it out by the Holy Spirit. Mark 13, 11, uh, Jesus says to the apostles, when they arrest you and put you before kings and governors, don't worry about what you're gonna say because the Holy Spirit's gonna give you what you need in that moment. That is not a verse about not preparing, by the way. We need to be prepared. We need to learn. We need to grow. It is the responsibility of a pastor to be diligent to present himself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. Yet at the same time, if I'm a good technician, if I can speak with eloquence but have not love, or I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, you can forget it. It's like the, the dinner party where you know there's two men who read Psalm 23, and the first man is a great actor and orator, and he goes up and he reads Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and he's got the, the, you know, the correct way to enunciate and all of that. And then some old man comes up, and he also reads the psalm with, you know, he's, he's got a cracking voice, and he barely can hold himself up, and the people sense the difference. And they say, what was the difference between the great orator and the old man? And the comment is from the orator, I read the psalm, he knows the shepherd. That's the difference. So don't think that you have to have it all together to serve the Lord. You don't. You just need to lean into him. And finally, Moses, back in Exodus 4, says, here's our title, Please, Lord, now send by whomever thou wilt. If you have an NIV, Exodus 4.13 says, Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Say what? <laughs> He's at the burning bush. He just had the God of the universe say, I'm the great I am. I'm the eternal existing one and I will be to you whatever you need me to be. And Moses is like, uh-uh. Nope. Lord, send whomever you will. Your will be done except for me. We, we are famous at doing something like this in the modern church. You know, it would be great if a ministry was started in this particular area because I could see that this would minister to many people. It would be good if the church would start a ministry right there. I've had some people call me and ask me, and I've responded, is the Lord calling you to start it? Or do you want us to just add it to our list of ministries? Maybe he's calling you. What? No. I was just pointing out the need. Something really needs to be done about that over there by somebody. Maybe you guys should pray about that. When the modern church becomes about one man preaching and a group of people watching. We've lost our way. This is a holy moment for equipping. 
so that we can hear the voice of our Lord and go out and make a difference in the world. Amen? It's not a spectator sport. And I know there's a lot of hungry believers in this room and watching because you guys have heard the call of God and you're like, Lord, with fear and trembling, here I am. Moses essentially says to God, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm out of excuses. I'm out of objections. Please, Lord, the updated New American, send the message by whomever you will, but not me. Remember when God called Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach the message that I give to you. And Jonah made a sign. Oh no, I won't go. And God said, oh yeah? And so he bought a ticket and he got on the ship and he went down, 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 down and the storm came and they went down where he was sleeping and hey, who are you? Where'd you come from? Call on your God. And they drew lots and the lot fell to Jonah and they said, who are you? Where'd you come from? Oh, I'm an Israelite. I serve the living and the true God. The storm was because of Jonah. And he went into the water. And God prepared a great sea monster to swallow up the wayward prophet. The sea monster, whether it was a whale or not, was a provision of God's grace, not of his judgment. Because it grabbed him in his defiance and got him to where he needed to be. And he had a bit of a wake-up call in the stomach of the great sea monster. You ever had a wake-up call in the places, tight spaces like that? Hot stomach acids of the sea monster. Seaweed hat going on, you know, a new line you can put out on the internet. And then finally you come to your senses. Okay, God, I'll go. See, God's going to get his will done. But here's the scary thing. He can use somebody else. Moses doesn't say scrap the whole idea. He knows that the people of Israel need to be set free from Egyptian bondage. He just doesn't want to be the guy. What's God calling you to do? How many excuses have you made to say, well, it's got to be somebody else? And the anger of the Lord burned against Moses 14. This is, I think, the first time it talks about the anger of the Lord in the Bible directed at an individual. And he said, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. Or, and moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Okay, the Lord was angry and his anger is always righteous, and I want you to be reminded, we'll see this later in Exodus 34, 6, that the Lord is slow to anger. But it doesn't mean he didn't get angry. It just means he's slow to it. And when you hit about four or five excuses, and the Lord's manifest himself at the burning bush, and he's overcome your objections, and you just still finally say, it's just because I don't want it. I got nothing else. I just don't want to go. And the Lord gets mad. Kind of like as a parent. How many times do I need to tell you to make your bed? 
Well, I got, I got a hangnail. I, oh, I pulled a hammy. Uh, you know, right? <laughs> and God finally says, no more. You got a brother, don't you? He can talk. Okay. Well, he's on his way to meet you because the Lord knows everything. And he's going to be glad when he sees you. And he's going to help you. Is it possible that though Aaron became Moses' partner, so to speak, that Moses missed something? Did Moses settle for second best? Is it possible that God wanted to heal Moses and was about to? And because Moses made his excuses, the Lord just left it alone? I don't know. God is sovereign. Moses said, could have said something like this, I know there are individuals more credentialed than I, but if I am the person you want and if you will go with me and with my mouth and I am available, give me your marching orders. And, you know, we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, in our lives and we can rely on that power. And as we read on in the book of Exodus, Aaron is going to be a mixed blessing for Moses. It's going to be good to have his brother there before the Pharaoh, and his brother is going to do some of the talking, but the bulk of the talking, even throughout the Exodus, is actually from Moses. And in the additional books that Moses writes, he's the main speaker nonetheless. So maybe it was just more about comfort for Moses, but then Aaron is going to be responsible for constructing the golden calf and going to become a pain in Moses' side. And in the book of Numbers, he's going to challenge Moses' leadership to the, to the extent that Miriam gets involved and she gets leprosy at least for a time because of their questioning of Moses' leadership. Can we say no to God? Esther 4.14, Mordecai says to Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Esther 4.14. And she says, okay, I'm going. Please fast for me. We're going to fast. And if I perish, remember, I perish. But Mordecai wisely said, God can get somebody else, but you're in the court and God's orchestrated the events in such a way that you are the woman. You're right there. Don't say no. And I think that God was moving in Aaron's heart too and provided him a helper. And Aaron is something like the sea monster, if you will, in Jonah's story. Gets him to where he needs to be. Maybe gets him over the hump and I will tell you this, I know that God knows our concerns and our fears, and he is patient with us, amen? If he weren't, none of us would be here. He's very patient. He knows our weaknesses. He knows that we are dust. He knows our fears, and I think he patiently uh, listens to our heart, but at some point, he says, okay, I think we've dealt with all of this stuff now. Let's go. It's time to go. And just a side note, the Pharaoh was familiar with a spokesman because there was a high official in his court that was designated as the mouth of the king, in quotes. And so maybe it's just another further provision from God. You are to speak to him. Now he goes on about Aaron, and we're winding down. 
and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, both of you, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, Exodus 4.16, he shall speak for you to the people, and it shall come about that he shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be as God to him. Exodus 7.1, if you want to take a peek, this is just another example It says, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. It's as God. Moses did not become a God. He was a man, but he was as God in this sense that he had become God's mouthpiece to deliver the message to the Pharaoh. And this is something important to write down for your notes. It's 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says that we, the church, are ambassadors for Christ as though God were what? Pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. Do you know that whenever you share the gospel, you become that vessel through which God brings his message to the world. And God has decided to use the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. He doesn't have to. He's used donkeys along the way, right, (laughs) to speak to wayward prophets. He can use whatever he wants to use, but he has decided to use the foolishness of preaching. That is, the weakness of the human bringing the message to another sinful person, telling them where to find bread from the hand of the king. Amen? And it's a great privilege that we have. And it's one of the reasons that we're still here. It's as though God were pleading his message through us for people to be reconciled to God. Because he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we in him might become the righteousness of God. We have a a role to play. God gives his word. We communicate the word so that people can be saved. The relationship between Moses and Aaron would reflect God's relationship with his prophets. Thus, God, quoting, was the revealer, Moses the prophet, Aaron the public repeater an arrangement not unlike that in the modern church, involving God, the scriptures as the location of his word, and the preacher as the public repeater, close quote. Luther puts it this way. Whoever possesses and believes the word of God possesses the spirit and power of God and also the divine wisdom, truth, heart, mind, and everything that belongs to God, in essence, to deliver the word of God and to do so faithfully. It is required of a steward that he be found, what? Faithful. And that is that when we stand in the stead of the Lord in the sense that we become the vessel or the mouthpiece for his word, it is incumbent upon us to give it clearly, unvarnished, without apology unto his glory. And you let the results lie with God. Amen? Too many in our day are so worried about what people are going to think that they hold back the full counsel of God. To our shame, we are to repeat what God says and we are to bring the word, the saving word of truth. And you shall take in your hand this staff that was set apart with which you shall perform the signs. Now, this is the end of the... uh, Interaction at the burning bush, and Moses is going to go. He's going to go to his father-in-law, and then he's going to go 
So we're going to get ready to move into those portions of Exodus, but that's next time. I want you to turn all the way to the book of Acts, and we're done. Acts chapter 3. Peter is preaching, and he is addressing his generation, his people. Acts chapter 3, he is preaching about Jesus Christ. And I want you to see what it says about Jesus. Acts chapter 3, we begin in verse 18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, Acts 3.18, that his Christ should suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven, Acts 3.21, must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Acts 3.22. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is quoting Deuteronomy 18.15. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And he goes on to talk about Jesus. He says, it is you, 25, who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you, that is Jesus, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Now here's the connection, and we close with this. Moses was a prophet before the burning bush, and God, the great I am, said, go. And Moses said, no. But he eventually went. And Jesus Christ, the voice of the burning bush, was up in glory. Don't know everything that was happening, but the perfect unity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect love, perfect unity. The Father said to the Son, go. Not just go speak to the Pharaoh. Not just go and confront the uh, situation of the slavery and the taskmasters. You go and you're going to die in their stead. You go, my son. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, well, Father, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, there's, there's about five or six things I'd like to bring up. Uh, you know, those people, they're not really worth it. Number one. Number two, you want me to do what? Be born in a, in a cave? Why not a palace? You, know, uh, you want me to grow up in Nazareth, a nowhere town, born to basically unknown people? And you want me to, to obviously you know, live that whole life, fulfill the law, then die on a cross as a capital criminal and endure your wrath and be put in a tomb and then rise from the dead? But Jesus didn't say any of that. He said, Father, if that's what you want me to do, I will go. The Father said, go. The Son, the great prophet, the, the one greater than Moses said, I will. I always do those things that please the Father. And in the garden, of course, in his humanity, he wrestled with the prospects of the cross. And he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, the cup of your wrath, the cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, 
Not my will, but yours be done. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he did it for us to bring us in to the promises. Amen? And thank God that the greater Moses, the greater David, the Messiah arrived. And he said, the one who heeds my voice heeds the voice of my father. The one that comes to me comes to my father. Do you know him? Have you met God? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life to be your Lord and your Savior? Father, thank you for your living word. Jesus, thank you for coming on a rescue mission, fulfilling the types and shadows of the Old Testament and even from the pen of Moses and the life of Moses. Thank you that you said yes. <laughs> Thank you for what you endured for me. Thank you that you made a way, the way, to be right with you, to be delivered from the Pharaoh or Satan, from the taskmaster, our sin, from death, from all the things that so easily entangle us. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering with your heart and head bowed. If you've not met Jesus Christ, your deliverer, this is the day that the Lord has made for you to be saved. Ask him in, something this simple but so profound. Jesus, would you save me? Pray it if it's you. Thank you that you said yes to the Father. Thank you that you came on that rescue mission to save me. Thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. I believe. I place my trust in you. I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me and make me new. In Jesus' name, if you're a, a prodigal and you've been running from God and not even so much his call, just walking with him, it's time to come home. And maybe you're here or you're watching and you've had the Lord knocking on the door of your heart for a while in regard to a ministry or a call. And you've had your excuses and you've had your feelings of inadequacy. I pray that the Lord will move you according to his will so that you go. You go in his power and in his grace. Thank you, Father. We're so grateful for your patience with all of us. So grateful that you are long-suffering and good. So grateful that you don't give up on us because we... <laughs> are quick to give up on ourselves at times. May your love and your goodness shower your people. Strengthen them. Give them peace and confidence that you know what you're doing. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name.